0: Happy Memorial Day, everybody. Um, <laughs> I think I did things wrong in planning today's sermon because I, I wanted to start with a somber moment and where we reflect on Memorial Day, and we're going to do that in just a minute, but in that song, I, was, I decided I was just ready to just preach like, right away, so I'm a little conflicted. Uh, so I'm going to calm myself down here just shortly. And uh, we're, gonna, we're just going to take a moment to celebrate uh, Memorial Day together. Uh, we live in a great country, yes? Okay. Um, there are lots of philosophical and theological conversations we could have about how the church should interact with the state. Um, I'm just going to share an opinion right now, and you can decide to join me in that opinion or not, but... Uh, As I, a novice historian, look across the span of history, I think the United States of America is an extraordinarily peculiar nation. And I think that uh, there has been some amazing opportunities to honor God in our nation uh, that have not always been available. So... uh, with that, and the reason I'm kind of saying that is some people are actually a little bit hesitant about us like celebrating our country too much, okay? So we're not going to go overboard because we're the church and we know that we have, you know, we're part of a greater kingdom, yeah? Uh, but we are going to take a moment and um, celebrate our nation and especially honor those who have provided, helped provide, regardless of what their motives were, but helped provide an incredible opportunity that we have to advance the good news of Jesus Christ in this nation and around the world uh, through the freedoms, privileges, and so on that we have. So uh, I'm going to read a uh, verse uh, from Scripture. We're going to watch a video, and I just want to encourage you, maybe you don't have a family member who uh, has passed away in in military service, Uh, maybe you don't have a friend, maybe you're not personally connected. Uh, But do whatever you can to reflect as seriously as possible on the fact that many have given their lives. Uh, In John chapter 15 and verse 13, Jesus says, greater love has no man than that he lay his life down for another. Let's watch and reflect together.
1: the sight before us is that of a strong and good nation that stands in silence and remembers those who were loved and who in return loved their countrymen enough to die for them. Yet we must try to honor them, not for their sakes alone, but for our own. And if words cannot repay the debt we owe these men, surely with our actions we must strive to keep faith with them and with a vision that led them to battle and a final sacrifice. Our first obligation to them and ourselves is plain enough. The United States and the freedom for which it stands, the freedom for which they died, must endure and prosper. Their lives remind us that freedom is not bought cheaply. It has a cost. The willingness of some to give their lives so that others might live never fails to evoke in us a sense of wonder and mystery, and how they must have wished, in all the ugliness that war brings, that no other generation of young men to follow would have to undergo that same experience. As we honor their memory today, let us pledge that their lives, their sacrifices, their valor shall be justified and remembered for as long as God gives life to this nation. And let us also pledge to do our utmost to carry out what must have been their wish, that no other generation of young men will ever have to share their experiences and repeat their sacrifice.
0: Father, today we think about those families who Uh around our nation have lost men and women in battle. We ask that he would be with them, that you would give them strength. Uh, Maybe there are, are those here amongst us who have those family members who have given their lives on our behalf. Father, we pray that you would give them strength and the courage to continue. Father, we pray uh, for us that you would grip our hearts with the privilege that we have been given, that we would not, that we would not take it lightly. Father, help us as Christians, Christian citizens of the United States To use this incredible opportunity that we have for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, you might be interested to know that six hundred and sixty-seven thousand Americans have given their lives in combat from the Revolutionary War till now. Uh, there are 1.4 million military deaths over that same span. Um, more, We have more military deaths in non-combat than we do in combat, which is interesting. Uh, in the Civil War, uh, for example, there were about 400,000 deaths off the battlefield, 200,000 do- 200, deaths on the battlefield. These are approximate numbers, but... Uh, because of dysentery and like things that happened off the battlefield. So, um, just as trivia, for, for trivia, in a way, um, it was in World War II when we finally figured out how to have a clean camp so that more people died on the battlefield than off. Um, well... Does God have a special plan for the United States of America? Is there something unique about this country? Uh, Well, yes. But it might be different than what you might think. Um, There have been some ideas that are outside of Scripture that have been given. For example, our LDS friends claim that God is establishing a new Israel. Established a new Israel when he established the United States. And they have proclaimed that the temple in Salt Lake City is the new Jerusalem. It is the new temple. Uh, so that's uh, one one potential um, Interpretation and idea. Um, Americans have felt uh, over the course of our history that God had something special for him, for for us. Maybe you've heard the phrase "manifest destiny." As you remember this from sixth grade history? Uh, this is the idea that God had given the United States from sea to, to shining sea to the United States and it was our manifest destiny to conquer that area. Um, well, I'm not sure about either of those things. I, I'm not sure that, well, the first one I know for sure. The second one I'm pretty sure. Um, although I'm going to read a passage of scripture that might kind of attached to that second thing. Uh, What if I told you, by the way, that America is mentioned specifically in the Bible? Hmm? Even the children are like, I think I would have heard about that. Well I'm gonna read you a passage of scripture and uh, I think you'll find it interesting. It's found in Acts chapter 17. In what has happened is the Apostle Paul, if we know his story, uh, he has been going to the Gentile, the non-Jewish world, and he has been telling people about Jesus, because Jesus was extraordinary. Jesus' story deserved to be told. Um, you see, Jesus died for our sins. He was dead for three days, and on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And he showed that he was the long-awaited Messiah, that he was the Son of God. And he commissioned the church to tell this story. And so Paul is going from city to city. Uh, we see in Acts 17, he goes to Thessalonica, some other cities. Thessalonica is sort of the, the big story. And then Berea, these are you know, cities in, in you know, the, the Roman Empire modern-day Turkey, in that area. And he is sharing the good news. But not everybody is liking the good news. They're not taking it as good news because, uh, well, they think the resurrection is a a ridiculous idea or uh, they don't like the, you know, the ramifications of the gospel being a real thing because it means that they are no longer kings of their lives. It means that the king that they are following is not the final and full authority. Uh, It means that they will have to surrender themselves fully to to God, the real God. And that God will ask them to do difficult things like love their neighbor as themselves, uh, even to the extent of loving their enemies. And don't you know that we actually prefer not to love our enemies Anybody else? I get an amen on that? So Paul is going from city to city, and he is telling this story, the story about Jesus. He is going into synagogues, and he is showing how Jesus fulfilled all of the Old Testament predictions, prophecies about what the Messiah was going to be, when he was going to come, and how it was going to all happen. And so Paul, week after week, is going to the synagogue and he is opening up the scrolls of Isaiah and Jeremiah and the Psalms. And he is saying, look, now we know what this means because of Jesus. Look, now we can see this picture in full color because Jesus has arrived. And many people are recognizing that what Paul is saying is true. And they are becoming followers of Christ. They are being baptized And they're saying, I am all in. But there are some who, they do not like this idea at all. There are some who are losing their power and their prestige. Some of the synagogue leaders, some of the people who have been using the truth to manipulate and gain places of power and prestige. And so they turn on Paul and his companions, and they introduce falsehood. They tell lies and they get the authorities on their side and they get the propaganda machine going and things start going against the Apostle Paul. And He, for this reason, is beaten on multiple occasions. He is stoned a couple of times. He is thrown in prison. He receives uh, the, the whip multiple times. In Thessalonica, uh, we see in chapter 17 uh, that he escapes, Uh, he escapes uh, (laughs) the scene, but some of the other Christians who are left behind, uh, they receive the blunt of the persecution. So Paul and Silas have gone on to Berea. And the Bereans are very open, very receptive to Paul's message. But the Jewish contingent that is against Paul goes from Thessalonica to Berea. They chase him down and they cause problems there. And so Paul is sent to Athens. Paul moves on ahead to Athens. He's trying to stay ahead of the people chasing him, trying to take him down. And that's where we'll pick up the story in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Remember, Athens is like intellectual central, right? When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, why, or what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. They've heard from the Jewish belief system before, but this is an entirely new animal. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For I was walking along and I saw many shrines. And one of your shrines had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I am telling you. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself is life and breath to everything, or gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. I think we just sang a song about that earlier. From one man he created... Oh, here it is. We're getting close. For one man he created all nations throughout the whole earth... He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. Interesting, yeah? His purpose, this is a very important part for us, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far From any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring, and since that is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from God or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day of judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Well, I have some questions for us. As we look at Paul, who is walking around Athens on vacation, right? He's supposed to be on sabbatical. He's waiting for his team to join him. He's got no protection. He's supposed to be taking it easy. He has been running from people who are chasing him to kill him. And he's supposed to just be taking a break, right? Just go enjoy the sights in Athens, Be comfortable, sit around, be entertained, have some nice meals, relax. But as Paul is sitting there observing culture, observing what is going on, what happens? It says that he he is distressed, right? He is disturbed. There's something that is going on inside of him that he, he can't handle. Something needs to happen, something needs to change. He is distressed about what he is seeing. so a question for us is, are we disturbed about things happening in our nation? Are we distressed? And I could get a whiteboard out and we could make a quick list. I'm thinking, but are are we distressed right Let me just say, there are multiple things in our country that we should be very disturbed about. Uh, And some of them are political in nature. But then what does Paul do next? He moves into action, right? He starts doing things that will bring about change. Right, he goes to the synagogues. That's like low-hanging fruit. Because right? these people, they're already aware that a Messiah is coming. He just needs to explain to them who the Messiah is. Right? So they're very close. And so he goes there first. Then he goes into the marketplace. He begins speaking to anybody who will listen. Right? That was so, the social media of that day. He stood in the middle of the marketplace and said, Hey, over here, I've got news. And so that is a difficult transition. I don't know if you notice that or not. But to move from being distressed and disturbed to saying something, to doing something, to courageously moving into action, to moving out of your comfort zone, to moving into a place of danger, to moving into a place of awkwardness, to moving into a place where, well, things could go poorly. Now, you can say, well, that's the Apostle Paul, and he does this all the time. But remember, he had to do it the first time. And it probably didn't get a lot easier, especially knowing that it was likely, the odds were high, that he was going to receive some significant persecution one way or the other. Are we willing to move from being distressed to saying something, to doing something, into action? Or have we become really good at just being distressed? And even better at being distressed together. That's one of my concerns for a church, actually, is that we too often get together and just agree that things are true or that things are bad. I don't think that's the purpose of the church. For us to be in a place where we can agree with other people about certain truths. We do that, and that's part of it. And that's maybe a foundational element, but that is not the end result of the church. So, are we willing to speak up? Are we willing to be strange? Are we willing to be strange? Are we willing to stand trial? Paul's taken right (laughs) to court. Right? This is the, the city where Socrates was killed. Because the Areopagus, this group that Paul is speaking in front of, they didn't like his ideas. So Paul is now immediately taken to this place where his life is on the line for the ideas that he is presenting. Are we willing to stand trial? How far are we willing to go for the things that we believe in? (laughs) Are we willing to trust the Spirit to lead us into what we're going to say, right? I don't think that the Apostle Paul knew at the very beginning of this situation that he was going to end up in court in front of the Areopagus, in front of the, the highest intelligentsia of the day. I don't think he knew that. Are we willing to trust that God's Spirit will give us the things to say if we are willing to be strange? If we are willing to step into difficult and awkward and confrontational maybe situations and conversations? So verse 26 and verse 27, I told you that America was mentioned in the Bible. Uh, I'll read those verses again. From one man, he created all nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. Maybe you could make a play for Manifest Destiny there. See what I'm saying? This is a very important part for us, I think. Verse 27, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. So Paul is giving us a little insight into the mind of God. What is this nation thing that's going on? right the philosophers that Paul is speaking to they're they're very interested in like creating the ideal state they're very interested in why there should be states like the purpose of a state the purpose of a nation so Paul is reorienting them and he is reminding them that this whole story this whole thing is about God it's not about the state Right? Because in their minds, the state was the highest thing. The state was the thing that was eternal. And Paul's saying, no, huh. that's not actually the story. He starts off by telling them that they have an idol to an unknown God, a, a memorial, a statue. They, they have this saying that says, this is to an unknown God. He's basically exposing the fact that they are totally clueless, right? I mean, think about a place that they've got all of these other statues to a variety of gods, but then they have this one that says, to an unknown god. So they're admitting some things, right? They are admitting that they don't know, that they don't know everything, that there is a deity that they are unaware of. There is something else going on that we cannot describe, that we do not understand, we cannot discern. There is something happening that we are not recognizing. But we, we, it's so powerful and so potent and so big that we need to somehow recognize the fact that we, we aren't getting it. So just in case, we better put that statue up, that memorial, whatever it was. To try to communicate to that God that, you know, please have some grace and mercy on us. We, we're sort of interested in, in honoring you. <laughs> so Paul starts with that and then gets to this point where he says, hey, this whole story is not about eternal states, eternal nations. Nations are actually just like, sort of like pawns in the hands of God. Nations are things that God just moves around as he sees fit. Nations are things that God weaves into his story. Nations are just one way in which God is telling his story. One way in which he is giving people an opportunity to discover who he is. So, the whole story of the United States, it's about God. Now, many of the events that have happened in the history of the United States don't seem to bring glory and honor to God. So that's not what I'm saying. Nations are an opportunity for people to feel their way, right? We're talking about the images like sort of groping, like a, a blind person kind of groping around to kind of figure out where to go. So <laughs> the United States is a way for us to grope around and find our way to God. Does that bring down your patriotic fervor? That's a little bit of what Paul's trying to do. Because these people in Athens think they they know what the ideal state looks like. And they believe that the ideal state will be eternal. Uh, They are deeply patriotic. And Paul says... I want to rethink this. God is not a part of the national story. The nation's story is a part of God's story. Um, then notice this piece that he adds on. He's, he says that, you know, and God is not far from any of Right, so he's he's reminding them that even though there may be some groping going on, some trying to trying to figure out. I should stop using that word groping, shouldn't I? A different word. Uh, struggling to find. Uh, even though God has put us in this place, and and you know different nations have their different attempts to try to find God or rebel against God in specific ways. God is not far from us. In other words, it's not, easy, it's not difficult to discern that there is this unknown God who is superintending everything and he's not actually unknown. He's not far away. We're not far away. And in the United States, we've had the great privilege of being so close so many times in so many situations. There are so many stories of people in our nation honoring the true God. So much so that some people say that our nation is built on biblical values. Some people compare our founding documents and the Bible, and they see a lot of crossover. On many of our, well, let's take the Supreme Court, for example. There is posted a list of the Ten Commandments. We have scripture posted on actually all of our primary branches of governments at their their heads in different ways. That's significant. That's significant impact. That's a very, very interesting and unique part of the story of the United States. We have been given... Incredible opportunities in this nation to advance the good news of Jesus Christ. We have been given incredible opportunities in this nation to manifest the wisdom of God in not just in the story that we're telling, but in the way that we live and the way that we interact with other nations. So many different opportunities. I'm going to read a passage to you that... Uh, encourages you to take advantage of the opportunities that you've been given. So maybe an exercise, a Memorial Day exercise for you to do would be, what are my opportunities as a U.S. citizen? I mean, think about the things that you can do, that you have the opportunity to do to massively impact the culture around you. Right? Free speech. Kind of a big one. Really annoying when certain other people are doing it. But guess what? You have free speech too. So speak up. Now be wise about it. Be gracious about it. That's in the passage I'm going to read as well. But speak up. Be bold and courageous. Uh, There's lots of forms of social media, by the way. Doesn't have to be on Instagram or Facebook. Could be a telephone call. Could be a lunch, conversation at work. That's social media, too. We've just forgotten about it. Uh, I could run for office. What? I mean, you don't just have to sit around here and take it. Ever thought of that? Like you don't have to just complain about politicians and government. Couldn't you believe there's another option to complaining? There usually is. But here we have a very special option. Uh, If you decide to be a politician, we should pray a lot over you. Because that is an ugly world. You might have some other unique opportunities in the place that you work, the position that you have, the friend group that you have, the person you are within the friend group that you have. Use those opportunities to advance the good news of Christ and all things that honor God above. In Colossians 4, starting verse 2, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Paul's giving us a game plan here. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Paul is writing this from prison. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. (laughs) Help me not to skirt the issue. Let's be clear about what is true. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Uh, our nation is a nation that celebrates the giving of our lives, so that others can live. It is a part of our culture, I think, largely because of the story of Jesus that is told so often in our culture. So that as we're watching movies about our military, it's fairly common to see a scene where one soldier will. Engage in an act of valor to save his fellow soldiers or to save our country, our countrymen from some potential threat or some very real threat. So this is what I would encourage you to do is that on behalf of the kingdom of God, That you would get distressed, get disturbed if you're not, and get to a place where you are willing to speak up, to do something, to take action, to join in the fight, to be willing to lay down your life for the truth of the good news of Christ in our nation. Let's pray together. Father we could be here all day singing the praises of uh, this nation. So many incredible things have happened. You have blessed us in ways beyond <laughs> beyond comprehension. But Lord, we know that you establish boundaries and you are the one that determines the rise and the fall. Father, we know that this story is about you. So, Father, help us to tell your story well in our nation. Help us to take advantage of every opportunity that we have to advance your good news and all the things that bring you glory, to seek truth and justice, to hate evil. Father, help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, We're going to eat together. We have got people grilling burgers and probably hot dogs, I'm not sure of the details, but we've got food that's going to be ready for you as soon as you walk out these doors, Uh, so it would be awesome if you stayed and joined us for that. Uh, We are also having a bake sale. We do not set aside money in our budget to uh, provide for our youth in any way. We basically don't like them. Uh, We depend solely on this bake sale. Um, and it, we always have more than enough because people like to buy wonderful things for way more than they're worth. Um, so, anyways, we've got uh, we're gonna have a bidding war out here. I think it's like a thing where you sign up and then somebody else can pay more and you keep going until you're paying at least you know several hundred dollars for a cookie, one cookie. Um, okay, so we have a video announcement real quick, but then we'll go do that.